anyway, it's, you know, it's always fun. All right, so here we go. Um, there was an election this week. Yes, there was. Yeah. Okay, so lies are immediate. You know that? If somebody, immediate. Somebody tells you something on TV or newscaster or whatever, or your telemarketer, and he says something that's a lie, it's immediate. There's no pulling it back, and a good number of people just believe it. The truth takes time. And we see that in a million different ways, you know, especially with this last bit that's going on. Uh, there are all these people that were convicted under the Trump administration. Well, several years later, the truth comes out and that was, you know, actually not right. And they had to be let go. And also, but lies are immediate. Truth takes time. And we have time. We have all the time the Lord wants us to have. It's all set up. He knows the answers. We don't. And we have all the time that we need to do all the things that we need to do because he set it up that way. So, you know, when a politician or news media guy or TV show or, you know, some, I mean, it's just endless how many people think we care about their opinions. You know, just because you can play basketball and then graduate high school, why do I care what you think? I don't care what you think. So quit telling me what you think, but it doesn't matter how outrageous or nonsensical and, you know, Goebbels and, Hitler knew this, the more outrageous the lie, the more often you tell it, the more people will believe it. And it's true. You can't just get away with, you know, cheating a little bit on the baking soda in a recipe. You have to make it completely outrageous. And then people will believe it. It's the weirdest thing. So, um, you know, and always the truth comes out. But usually it's, you know, in the small print at the bottom of page 43 underneath the Tide ad or something, and nobody ever reads it. Or, you know, these guys will double down on their lie as if that's going to help us believe it or, you know, you know whatever. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter other than to say truth's difficult to come by. And uh, there is only one place, as far as I can tell, that you can find truth. And it's in that book most of you are holding. And several of the other books, as a matter of fact. But um, that's where we get our truth. And it doesn't matter what these pundits say, and it doesn't matter what happens. And if you notice, I'm wearing my feast shirt tonight. And in cooperation, all of you people, with rare exception, brought desserts tonight. So it's, you know, this is like a rapture party, right? This is the deal. This is a party. This is a good thing. And we know the truth is, is difficult to come by. So I wanted to talk about uh, the Hebrew. There's two words, typically, that are translated in English as truth. The first one is emeth. And emeth. <laughs> um, and it's an aleph, which is the ox head, power strength, and that stuff. The mem, which is water, like the water of life. And the tav is testimony. So you, you look at those, those concepts, this is truth. You know, it's, it's life, testimony, and strength. That's the idea of truth. It contains those things. And if what you hear or believe or think doesn't contain those things, it's probably not truth. Um, it's from the word aman, which is uh, Aleph Mem Nun. So it's the, the first two are the same. The noon is is the picture of the air or the seed. It's the seed, so it's the air. So, and it's, it, the, the word is actually, uh, it's to build up like a parent or a nurse might or something. It's, it's you know, it's, it's sort of the foundation. So 
you get these words again, except this time you add the air into the into the deal. So, uh, and it's also the word where we get amen in English. So that's the you know the concept of that. The word often trans another word often translated as truth is immuna. And it's typically, uh, it's often the word translated as faith, but it's also translated as uh, truth. And it's Aleph, Mem, Nun, Hey. And the Hey is to worship. So you've got all these words, and you're, now you're adding worship to it. And this is the picture of truth life, strength, um, you know, air, worship. And it's from the word Amun, which is. Uh, it 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 adds the word of the tent peg, which is security. So in addition to life and strength and air and worship and testimony, add to that the picture of security. And all of those things are what truth is, because truth isn't just one thing. It's not just because I said it or, uh, I mean, there is some truth that's like that. Two and two will always be four. I don't care what kind of new math you have. But this idea of, of, of truth contains all those things. And in Hebrew, the word for word is devar, devar. And it's, you know, dalit, bet, resh. And the dalit, of course, is the door. The bet is the house and the resh is the head. You know, the head of the house, go through the door. I mean, th this is the idea of a word. So to a Hebrew, a word is always true because it was always true in the beginning. Every word that was ever uttered was true because it came from God. Until the father of lies shows up. And that's why he's called the father of lies because he started twisting words in a way people had never, didn't, they didn't even know you could do that. You know, the words had always been true. They'd always been strength and testimony. And I mean, all of these ideas and pictures, the air and the tent peg for security. And then all of a sudden this guy comes by and starts saying things that as it turns out are not true. And there wasn't even a word for it, but there had to become a word for it. So it's a lie. John 8, 44 and 45 it says, and he was a murderer from the beginning and, a, and abode not in truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. And that is kind of the crooks of the matter, right? God says stuff. Yeshua says stuff. Yahweh says stuff. You read stuff in the Bible and you don't believe it. But when somebody like the father of all lies, when Satan, the enemy, whatever comes and says something, we tend to believe it. And it makes no sense. It's completely irrational. And yet, that's kind of the way it is. So if you, if, if you're like L1 is doing, if you read the book of Adam and uh, Kava, Adam and Eve, it becomes almost monotonous how often the enemy shows up dressed as a beautiful woman <laughs> or a beautiful man or, you know, the ice cream vendor or, or whatever. He's constantly doing this and he's constantly telling them lies and they're constantly confused and believe them. And then some disaster strikes as a result of that. 
and they go back to the Lord and complain bitterly that they didn't know that this guy lied to them. That how could he say these things? And the Lord would intervene every time. And typically what he would do is open their eyes, see the actual form of the enemy. It's not a beautiful woman. It's not a good looking guy. It's not a king or a, it's not any of these things. It's this awful, disgusting, hideous, horrible creature who lies constantly. And as you read these books, it is, like I say, it's monotonous. And I guess that's, you know, what, what was happening, but he would come convince them, they would buy into it. They would suddenly find out they'd been duped and cry out to the Lord and the Lord would rebuke them mildly and send the enemy away, reveal to them who he was, and then they would start all over again. Then a few days later, the same thing would happen. And then the same thing would happen. And the same thing would happen. And I, I, did, I never counted, maybe I should. Uh, I would say maybe eight, a dozen times, I don't know, some amount of times this kept happening until Adam finally got wise to it. And he would see the thing or they would, he would, the enemy would come to him as whatever he needed, a guide or a roof repair guy or whatever. And he would, he would say to himself, well, I, I think this must be the devil. But he didn't look like the devil. He wasn't speaking like the devil. But it takes some experience. And that's what Adam and Eve gained, I guess. And by the end of, well, not even by the end of his life, but some, some days, chapters, weeks later, he started to become more attuned to the fact that there are people out there, specifically the enemy, who are not benevolent towards him, who seek to do him harm, who seek to separate him from the Lord and, and Chava from the Lord. And they would do this by using any means possible. And they would do it by deception and by cheating and by lying. And this, this word for lies is shakab, and it's a shin kaf bet. And of course, Hebrew, you know, the, the words, they're, they're pictures, so they have meanings. And the picture remains the same, but the meaning can change depending on the context. So the shin is the front teeth. So sometimes we see Shin as, um, a, you know, a good thing, bright, smiling, joy, like, like, like you would see the front teeth of a person when they're smiling or singing or doing good things. But it also means uh, biting and tearing and ripping because that's what you use your front teeth for, right? So depending on the context, it can be a good or bad thing. So we, we, we can assume that if it's a lie, it's the biting and the ripping and the, you know, the the bad part, the cough um, is the open hand, which is traditionally a good thing. But the open hand is also a slap across the face. It can be uh, an insulting, uh, you know, a slap across the face. You can imagine what that is. And then of course, um, there's the bet, which means house. And it always means house. And typically the house is, um, is a place of safety. It's a place of where all the good things are. But when you put it in this context, these things are happening in the house, the biting and the arguing and the slapping across the face and 
these are these are bad things. And so you compare that with the picture of truth, which are all these good things, life and and uh, strength and protection and safety and air and sea, you know, all of that. And you compare this with the slapping and the biting and just the fighting and the discord in the house. And that's what a lie does. And it's interesting, this, this word shakab, it's used as the word for lying, but the actual meaning of this word um, is, how do we say this? is uh, copulation. And in, in the English vernacular, we might say um, to be screwed. And that's basically what a lie is. It will screw you every time versus all the good things that are the truth and God and all that. So look, we're in a place right now, which is, I mean, it's, it's, it's so unfair. It's, it's just, there are lies after lies after lies and cheating after cheating after cheating. But we don't want to be that guy. We don't want to be um, the kind of guy who gets stuck in uh, having his iPad break all the time. Um, Does someone want to explain that? Okay, Discord's good. I was thinking copulation. Is that the word lies? It means to have sex. And not necessarily in a good way. Um, so that's what I mean. You know, the English vernacular, that would be to be screwed. And that's kind of the way it is. But we have to realize this is happening. This is going on and this is real. Is absolutely real. This isn't some ethereal idea that there's, oh, you know, some bad stuff out there that might happen. There is somebody out there trying to mess with you all the time. And as you read, you know, throughout scripture, of course, but especially, it's especially poignant in the books of Adam and Eve because it's just constant. It, that's, it seems like that's the only thing that's going on. And of course, it's not. It's going on and it's building them. It's building their, uh, their faith and their relationship with the Lord. They have been cast out of the garden and they spend all kinds of time begging and praying and pleading and fasting and, you know, to get back. And the Lord says, I can't send you back. There's a time, there, there will be a time I'll bring you back, but it's not now. And it will be when that time is completed, I will bring you home. So stop asking me. And so that degenerates into their constant pleading to keep the enemy away from. And the reality is the, the Lord does not keep the enemy away. But when Adam and Eve go to him and seek him, he reveals to them who it is and what's going on so that they can take appropriate actions and usually banishes the enemy. Now he just apparently banishes him for the day. He doesn't send him you know, to a different country or something, because he's right back again. And when you first, and I don't know, maybe you've had this thought, you read it, it's just, it's like, oh my gosh, again, again, again. But as you consider it, pray about it, think about it, that's a picture for us. That's the way our lives roll. And we need to be able, to, the whole purpose 
of the priest was to be able to separate for the people the holy from the profane, because apparently we can't do it on our own. And part of that, especially with Adam and Eve, was because they had no experience at it. All they knew their entire existence up to that point had been true. And now all of a sudden they're confronted with something that's not true. And I would suggest for us, it's not that big a surprise, but it's still surprising. You look at what happened, uh, you know, what's still happening this week, and you know it's, you know, it's fake. It's, it's been scripted. Well, I, I, I think, and I, you know, I don't know what you guys think, but I think most of this political stuff is all garbage anyway. It's all scripted and it's, you know, and the thing that I struggle with is I don't know if Trump actually messed with their plans, they never thought this guy would be elected because Bush, Clinton, Obama, the other, it doesn't matter. They're all the same. They all believe the same things. They all say the same things. They all do the same things. I mean, within reason. And all of a sudden you've got this guy that seems to, I mean, he is different. He's an outsider and he can do things that have never been done before and say things that have never been done. So the only question I have is, is he an actor playing that part? Or is he really that guy? You know, and I see all this stuff going on and, and that doesn't answer the question, but it does and it should focus us on the fact it doesn't matter. We need to focus on the Lord. We need to be his. We need to stop worrying about, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter what's going to happen. You know, you've got these two people that from a, biblical standpoint are just awful people. They promote uh, murder of babies. They promote homosexual marriage. They promote uh, the Democratic Party got rid of uh, God on their plank this year. They've been doing, they've been trying to do it for the last 12 years. They finally got it through. And if you read their whereas document, I think from March, they just dumped Christians and they, you know, not only dumped them, but threw them under the bus saying, we have destroyed those people. We're destroying the lives of the lesbians and the gays and the transgenders and the Mexicans and the blacks. And it's like the truth of God does not destroy anything. It brings to life everything. And so you, you know, to, to support a person like that is, I mean, the Bible calls you an abomination if you support that kind of thing. And, and I had to look that up, you know, to see what abomination means. And it means disgusting. It's morally reprehensible. It's corrupt. And you think about, um, and women probably don't have this experience as often as men, but I will step in something or change a diaper or something. And I mean, it's, you know, it's like making me throw up. This is, this is the most disgusting thing I've ever seen in my life. Women seem to be able to handle the disgusting things better, but still there are disgusting things, right? There are things that are just so disgusting, they make you sick. Well, that's God's response to people who, who, I mean, according to Proverbs, what is it, 15, 17, if you support people, you know, and I've talked, I can't tell you how many Christians, oh, no, no, I, I, I don't believe in, you know, in, in murdering your babies or, 
in gay marriages or any of that stuff. But yeah, I'm going to support him anyway. You can't make that determination. The Lord has said you cannot do that. You are an abomination to him. You are disgusting to him. Who wants to be disgusting to the Lord? Especially over something as stupid as a political guy. Because they're all crooks. They're all cheats. It doesn't matter. It's all scripted and it's all designed by who, whoever knows who's pulling the strings. You know, it's a bit over my, yeah, Satan eventually. It's over my pay grade. Um, but anyway, it's, you can't do that. And yet, 60% of Christian, 60% of people who identify as Christians vote that way. Well, the Lord has already said that, uh, well, that most who claim to be saved, most who say they're falling after me, are not. They're on the broad road. There's very few on the, on the, at, the at the narrow gate. And the, the uh, kingdom parables go on and tell you it's about 75%. So if 75% of the people who think they are Christians are not, according to Jesus, that's not, you know, that's not my math. Um, okay, there you go. That's how that happens. And it's interesting. Uh, I was thinking about this the other day. If you've ever been to the uh, Georgia Guidestones, you know, the Ten Commandments of Humanism, the first commandment is the world should have no more than 500 million people. Okay, awesome. There's almost 8 million. So who's going to off the 7.5 billion and who are they going to be? But I'm thinking about this. If, if there's almost 8 billion people on earth and if about, tw- bless you, and if about 25% of them uh, claim to be Christians, that's 2 billion. And if 75% of them really aren't, that's 500 million. And I thought, huh, that's just like the Lord to send a prophecy via the humanists, just like he did with Nebuchadnezzar, just like he did with the pharaohs, just like he did with all these people who are not saved. He sent information. And I just thought, that's just, that's just too crazy. But anyway, this whole deal that's going on obviously is bogus and wrong and all that. And it doesn't matter. It's actually good news because it's, Think about if, if Trump had won, would that delay our rapture for another four years? What we need, these things have to come to pass. I've read the end of the book. I know sort of how it looks. We have to get to the point where those things come to pass. And I couldn't bring myself to voting for Biden in order to try to speed it up. But I did think about it. Right? I mean, I'm not in any, any big interest to stay here. I'd rather go home. Yeah? And I'm sure we all would too. So when we see stuff like this, our first instinct is to get all, you know, pissy about it. And they're cheating. Of course they're cheating. They're politicians. What do you expect? They all cheat and lie. That's why they're politicians. They can't work at the grocery store or for me because I'd have to fire them. But this is good news. Because the sooner we get to the end, the sooner we go home. So I decided I was going to put on my, uh, my uh, feast shirt. So by the way, if uh, any of you pass before I do, this is what you get. I don't have a suit. I, uh, well, I'll put nice boots on. I just got some new boots from Carl. This is it. So this is as good as it gets. So I decided to wear it tonight in honor of the good news right? This is good news. This is exciting stuff. Plus, 
what this does is because by now we know many of our uh, wannabe Christian follower. I mean, I don't know. I'm not the judge. I can't, you know, I can't tell you, but we know who they are because they've shared with us or they won't come anymore because apparently, apparently I'm too political. Do we need a something? Use your mask. It'll be good for something. Um, <laughs> this provides us with a target rich environment. Not only do we have the people that we wrote our letters to the, to our sister to, and the people that we know that are utterly pagan and have no interest in anything of God. Now we have a whole new layer of uh, people we can talk to. And there are all these people who believe themselves to be Christians. And yet the Bible would say they're actually an abomination to God. So those people know something about the Lord. One would think it would be a much shorter jump for them to see the Lord or to start fall. And, and it may not be, I could be totally wrong on that, but I think it increases our target rich environment. So in some sense, we're living in really heady times because there's a few of us that seem to know, uh, you know, and none of us, you know, we don't get there because of our good works or because of how much we followed or knew or any of that stuff but our heart is for the things of the Lord. And we know enough to know that we should at the very least look and see what the Lord has. Trust. Trust in him, right? It doesn't matter what the world says, what the politicians say, what even what logic might say, trust in him. And don't worry about all the other stuff. It's all good news because it must come to pass. So, you know, I guess we just, what I'm trying to say is we can't afford to get caught up in the disgusting stuff because it is disgusting. And why would we want to get that on our shoes? You know, we should be a light instead of, uh, <clears throat> you know, plotting to. Right, but but you can perhaps help them to find the Lord, right? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, of course. They don't want to hear it. Well, I've had, I mean, you know, you can, you can tell the people that aren't here anymore. They don't want to hear it either. They don't want to hear it when I say you can't be both a Christian and a Democrat. Well, because obviously they're Democrats and, and, and they don't think they support abortion. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. But um, so anyway, you, you look at, and I'm, I love history myself. So uh, I have looked at it. Also, no, no, I got it. I think they call that a black mirror, by the way, I understand that that's a bad thing. Um, <clears throat> and I've always found it interesting starting in the late 1700s in the 1800s. And, and by the mid 1800s, there was this group called uh, Tammany group or something. And they became Tammany hall in the late 1800s and early 1900s. And they were the ones who ran New York, you know, in the East coast. And they were corrupt and lie and cheat and they would affect every election and they controlled the city for 40, 50 years by cheating and being just being just being terrible people, being disgusting people. And then there was 
you know, Huey Long and Louisiana. And he ran the South for 20 years until somebody shot him in 1935. And then there was Richard Daly, you know, ran Chicago for 20, 30 years in the 60s, 70s. And they all do this by lying and cheating and stealing and just being corrupt. And we saw a good wife once years ago. There was an election in Chicago and, you know, the guy, the Democrat was losing. So the mayor sends all the, the vote counters home, you know, for the night because they worked hard. And then they back the van up and just unload 20,000 ballots for their guy. And of course, the next day, miraculously, he wins, just like, you know, just like we're seeing now. <sighs> My heart, you know, gosh, darn it. Thank you. Um, my heart is that we, you know, I had been born before their electronics would have been nice, but um, I typically I would become angry at those people, you know, because of what they're doing. But Lately, I've been, um, my heart is just grieved for them because they, the things that they place all their importance on and that they place their entire being on is, it's that disgusting stuff on the bottom of your shoe. And they are never going to have a relationship with the Lord. And we need to pray for them. And, and seeing this, Again, I mean, this isn't new. This, you know, they've been doing this for hundreds of years. The Democrats have been doing this for hundreds of years. Um, it just brings me to the place where my heart aches for them. I mean, I don't care so much about us, because like I say, if Trump won and everybody's happy and dancing in the street, like at a Trump rally and all that stuff, all that means is we're four more years away. And I'm, <laughs> I'm ready to go. I don't know how many more years I have, but I'd like to go. I don't need another four years of this stuff. Yeah, 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 maybe. Yeah, yeah. That's true. And so, you know, you, you think about China and uh, all these countries, you know, in 49, when Mao took over, there were no Christians in China. And so there was, there's all kinds of autobiographies and biographies you can read of people who went to China and m missionaries and they, a few people were saved, and maybe by 1950, there was 100 Christians. Well, Mao comes in, kills millions and millions and millions of people, shuts the country down, makes everybody wear masks. Um, okay, he didn't do that, but it's like that. Well, he might have, I don't know. Well, that's what grew the church. You know, and when, when things are good in the United States, the church is stagnant. Nothing happens. And I get, and I'm sure you do, uh, letters from your missionaries when they have time to write. And they talk about, oh my gosh, the Lord did this. You know, he, he regrew a limb or he raised the dead or the entire Muslim village came to know him or that stuff doesn't happen here. And I think it's because we're weak. We don't, we don't, we, we don't have challenges. These guys, it's life or death. If they, you know, it, it, they have to trust in the Lord because they could be dead tomorrow. 
and they see things that we just don't ever see. And I know the Lord wants us to live that way. He wants us to be as excited about him as these people who live in mud huts surrounded by Muslims. You know, another group we deal with in Ghana, the Muslims have gotten their hands on a bulldozer. So they come bulldoze all the topsoil off and take it away. So these people can't even grow their own food. I mean, what is in the heart of a person to do that? What is in the heart of a person to put more emphasis on cheating in an election for crying out loud than to live a, a life for, for the Lord, to become saved and have an eternity with him? They are eternally separating themselves from the best thing that could ever be. And my heart grieves for that. And if you remember in, um, you know, in March, I was, well, I still do struggling with this, what's happening to this country. And I could see that it's gone. We'd already, it hadn't happened yet. It still hasn't happened, but it's coming. We've lost this country. There's no getting it back. It'll never be the way it was before. And it broke my heart, still breaks my heart. Yeah, but it's too late. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And, you know, a pastor challenged me on, do you love the country more than you love the Lord? I don't know, honestly. I mean, I love this country and I love the Lord and I hate what's happening to it. But it's putting us all in a spot where we have to make that decision, right? We have to put the Lord first. And if we put the Lord first and start living like, well, essentially like the rest of the world lives, it will be a great thing. It'll be, you know, there, there will be no more big fancy houses and nice cars and, you know, and all that. And maybe we won't get to eat for a few weeks. You know, I, I could use to lose a few, I guess. Um, it, life will be different. And you can look at that and go, oh my gosh, it's terrible. It's horrible. I don't know what to do. Why is God doing this to it? Or you can look at it and go, thank you, Lord, for bringing me to the place where I can come to you like my Indian missionaries or like my Guyanan missionaries or, you know, any of these people, because they have to live in a way different way than we do. And the way they live, I think, is more pleasing to the Lord. Now, they don't know all the ins and outs of Hebrew and all, they have a Bible maybe amongst the whole group of them, you know, and their pastors are... Um, they're not knowledgeable in the word, but there's an enthusiasm and they love the Lord. And that's what the Lord wants. He, you know, I spend all my time finding out exactly what it says and what it means and, you know, all that stuff. And that's okay. I'm sure he doesn't, you know, give me a, a demerit for that, but he wants us to live like those people. And now he's giving us, or he's about to give us an opportunity to live like those people. And we may find ourselves trying to reject it, but we shouldn't. It's, it's, it's something we need to do. It's a gift of God, if you want to look at it like that. Um, I don't know if you caught this or not. Today in Venezuela, which we will soon be looking like, the Iranian foreign minister complained or proclaimed that the U.S. no longer controls the world. Even he can see what's happening. And now he sees the United States is just another third world corrupt 
dictatorship, just like Iran, just like Venezuela, just like Cuba. And we can think, oh my gosh, it's those, you know, fill in the blank. It's those Christians who think they're Democrats. It's those women in suburbia who thought Trump was obnoxious, you know, which he is. It's the, you know, fill in whatever it is. It's not any of that. It's that the Lord wants to bring us closer to him. And it's, it's awesome news. I would say since the time Yeshua was here, he has been doing, uh, well, essentially one thing, but it, many things. He's been separating the sheep from the goats. And that has continued for 2,000 years. And everybody knew as the day draws near, that separation will become more and more and more obvious. And you are going to have to choose sides. There's not going to be anybody who, oh, well, I, I didn't know. Or, you know, I, I like this, but I like that. There's going to be a division, a stark division between the sheep and the goats. And that division is coming. And there will be those people, perhaps pictured as, um, you know, all these precinct captains and mayors and all these people that are, I mean, they know what they're doing. They're cheating. They're lying. They're stealing. And they think it's okay because it's, you know, it's for the greater good or the end justifies them. They think they're the smartest person in the room. And there's not going to be any fixing that. You know, like Dan says, you can't fix stupid. They are placing more importance in their little power trip as mayor or the supervisor of the ballot counting or, I don't know, that's where they get. I mean, that's just ridiculous and it's disgusting and God is disgusted. I'm disgusted and I feel bad. So we should be, we should be praying for them. I mean, not, not so much even for the country or, uh, or for the electronics. Um, I don't know but the church grows best in darkness. And we've, we've done that message several times. There are plants, what do they call them? Nightshades or something? They grow at night. And I think zucchini is one of those. You know, you've got a zucchini and you get up in the morning and it's like you've got a zucchini. How does that happen? Well, they spend all daylight taking in and water and air and sunlight. And then at night they grow. Well, that's how the church is. In, especially in these countries like, China and Guyana and uh, Kashmir and, you know, you name it, Africa, wherever. They take in what they can take in. The Lord gives them all they can get. And then when it's dark, they grow, right? And we don't do that here because everything is so easy. And I suggest it's about to stop getting easier. I, I redid this Bible study tonight um, at 430 because <laughs> it just went in a direction I didn't like. And I had a couple of friends of mine uh, remind me that uh, my natural tendency is, is not good. <laughs> it's to see the dark and it's to complain about it. And it, and that's not it at all. This is a good, good thing. So um, let's read Psalm 14. One, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and have, have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. 
Well, again, I take you back to the democratic platform. They got rid of God. They eliminated him. They said he doesn't, he's bad. He's an oppressor. Proverbs 17, 15, we've read, he that justify the wicked and condemn the just, even both are an abomination to the Lord. Um, Proverbs 6, now, uh, you know, this is for you because I don't do any of this stuff. Um, Proverbs, <laughs> Proverbs 6, 16, 23. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven things are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift into running to mischief, a false witness that speaks lies, he that sows discord among the brethren. My son, keep thy father's commandments and forsake not the law of thy mother. And that is, means to bind or bond. Bind them continually upon them heart, tie them around your neck. When you goest, it shall lead, you, lead thee. When you sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when you awakest, it shall talk with thee. So things are going to get, they're not going to get any better. We need to keep the word of the Lord. We need to understand who he is. We need not to do all of these things. Proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift to running into mischief, a false witness that speaks lies, he that serves discord among the brethren. We don't need to be those guys. We shouldn't be those guys. That's an abomination to God. And yet, you know, several of these are me. I mean, I, I, I can't tell you how, how, how many, at night how much time I spend going, well, you know, we could, we could off this guy by doing this or, you know, we should do. It's like, don't, don't do that. <laughs> they may deserve it, but let's, let's let the Lord deal with them so I don't have to deal with them. Um, so we need to, well, and again, this is probably just for me. Uh, for the commandment is a lamp and the law is a light and the reproofs of instruction are the way of life. We need to keep his word and his spirit front and center and recognize that everything that's happening, you know, it's not like the Lord, uh, you've got Jesus and, 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 and Yahweh, right? Sitting there, Holy Spirit, maybe all sitting there on their little thrones, looking down at what's going on. Oh my gosh, did you see that? I didn't even think they would do that. That's crazy. Well, that's not what he's saying. You know, he knows exactly what's going on. And he's letting these things happen because he loves us, right? He wants us to draw closer to him. And if it's a little uncomfortable, he's good with that. Are you? You know, I'm not sure I am, but we have to be because things are going to get uncomfortable. Um, don't give in to the fear and ugliness. You know, we need to have compassion on these people. Can you think of the condition of a heart of the people, th these people that, that, do this. I mean, they are so empty inside. They should be easy pickings to give them something to hold on to. It's like the, the picture of uh, the uh, Hebrews uh, dancing around the golden calf. Right. Exactly. And there are certainly enough pictures of that. Um, because that's how we are. That's <laughs> just, if it doesn't happen in 10 minutes, we got to do something different. And Americans are just terrible at that. Um, let's see. Well, for 21st century Americans, Christians, Americans that go to, 
you know, some denominational or even an open Bible church or Calvary Chapel or something. Um, I don't know that we get a lot of this stuff. We're, we're fed, you know, the God loves me thing. That's true. Doesn't save you, but that's true. And we're not challenged. And I've long wondered how, uh, you know, how to, how to deal with that. And I've done it this way by maybe trying to show people what I think the scriptures say or what the Tanakh says, or maybe it draws a better picture or whatever. But I was thinking about, uh, you remember when the, the disciples got together and uh, they were discovering that the Lord had called Gentiles. And this was a new revelation to them. They couldn't imagine this because previously this would have been a disgusting thought to have Gentiles come to their Lord. But it was clear the Lord was doing it. So they got together and decided, well, what do we do with these people? Because they weren't raised as Jews, as observant Jews. They don't know the Tanakh. They've never heard the words of Moses. And yet the Lord has drawn them to himself. And how do we best deal with that? So if you remember from Acts 15:20, and I think this is pertinent to us today is the only reason I bring it up. Acts 15, 20 and 21. But, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols, from fornication, from things strangled and from blood. For the time, or for Moses of the old time, hath in every city them that preach him, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. So what they did was they laid out three basic things. Like, okay, you're new to this deal. This is what you need. This is sort of the minimum requirements. And then you will learn the rest as you listen to, to, to Moses on the Sabbath, right? And it's interesting what those three things are. It was... Um, abstain from pollution to idols. Okay, and you, you can make a really good case that the ultimate pollution of idols is Molech. And the, the and you probably know, the people um, of the plains, the, uh, the non-followers of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they would take their firstborn and this big brass statue with his hands out like that, and they would heat it up till it's red hot and they would lay their firstborn on this and burn them to death. This was abortion. I mean, that's, you know, because our Lord is the God of life. The dark side is, is the God of death. So everything that winds up killing people comes from the dark side. Everything that winds up building up and encouraging people comes from the good side. So he's talking about the first thing they need to do is, is abstain from the pollutions of idols. And some Bibles have somehow put the word food or meat in there, and it, it doesn't exist in the text. That's just something they added. So they abstain from the pollutions of idols. And you think about all the things uh, that idols do and all, you know, picture for yourself what idols are and all that. The, the most obvious and painful of those is sacrificing your own children, murdering your own children so that you will have an easy life, which is essentially what abortion is. You can't take the time to care for this child that you created, so you just kill them, right? That makes good sense. Whoever thought a woman ever would buy into that? And yet that's how strong Satan is. He convinces them of that. Okay, so the other thing is abstain from fornication. Well, it's not saying abstain from sex. 
He's saying abstain from illegal fornication. And if you go back to Leviticus 19, 20, 21, you'll get the whole rundown on all this stuff. But basically, again, God of life, God of death. Life brings forth life. Death brings forth death. Homosexuals can't create life. No, there is no darkness in heaven. It's all down here, apparently. Um, exactly. Constantly illuminated by God. And then the third thing he wants them to do is to keep from things strangled and things blood. He wants you to obey the dietary laws, right? That's all he's talking about. So here are the three things. Dump your idols, whatever they may be. Stop fornicating, for crying out loud. And just obey the law. Don't eat pork and shellfish and, you know, whatever the law says. Yeah, that's how the whole conversation got started. Do they need to be circumcised to be saved? And the answer was no. But they do need to do these things. You have to show something. You know, give me a little bit here. You have to agree to do some things. And then the rest you will learn on the Sabbath when you hear the law of Moses. So again, it's not how well we are able to keep the Torah or the law. It's are we willing to try to keep it? Are we willing to put a few Simple steps out there. I mean, who's going to kill their own baby? That's not a hard thing not to do, right? Most people are not gay. This is not a good thing. They don't want to do that. And then, you know, the, the dietary laws, that's actually, you have to do something, but that's all it is. And if you show that little bit, then... God will accept you and teach you as you go. It's a pretty simple thing. So when we talk to these people, you know, I think of myself, how do you talk to a Brenda Snipes or, you know, the, the registrar in Miami who finally they fired because she's just so crooked? How do you talk to somebody like that? And if you talk to them about, oh, you're going to go to hell and burn forever, which may be true, that's not going to get you anywhere. You know, look, explain the beauty of the Lord like he does. The riches and the glory of God like he does. And then this is all you need to do to start. And then you can learn as we go, right? It's, it's actually a pretty simple thing. And a lot of people will find it compelling. But here's what you can't do. You can't just choose to believe what you think is true. And then smack, you know, a Christian label over it. Because who cares what you think is true, what you choose to believe, that's not going to get you saved. You need to be humble enough to come to the Lord and say, hey, I, I don't know, but I'm willing to learn. I can't keep everything, but I'm willing to start. And most, I, I would suggest most Christians, I mean, the 75% that are probably on the broad road could be that that's how they, they think is oh, I choose to believe that, you know, whatever it is. I choose to believe that God is love and it'll all work out. And, you know, and I know people who have had abortions, many abortions, who have since come to the Lord. And that didn't disqualify them. Once their heart was changed for the Lord, 
they're now fairly excited because when they get to heaven, there will be these children that they never met. And that's a good thing, you know, I guess. But, it, you know, our, our errors in the past and our weaknesses and our inability to understand and the, and the darkness and the fuzziness in our heads does not preclude us from meeting and staying with the Lord. The only thing that precludes us from that is our unwillingness to hear what he has to say and, and try to do what he wants us to do. And all the things he wants us to do are for our benefit. So it's not really that big a deal, right? So again, you look at the things going on this week, look at the things that are going on next week. I mean, I can't even imagine what's, I got another email from a lady, uh, Christian lady, I guess, um, saying it's a full page, like an eight point font or something. Pray for these things. And oh, you know, Arizona has now been turned white. They're thinking it's a toss up and we need to pray for this and that. Okay, look, let's pray for it. You know, I mean, I'm weekly praying for it because I've, I want to go home. I don't want it to get better, but I'll pray for it, you know, because it's the Lord's going to do it anyway. Um, okay. She can go. Proverbs fourteen twelve. you all know that. There's a way that seem right to a man, but the end thereof is the ways of destruction. Just because we choose to believe something that it's not, that's the road to destruction. Yes? Yeah. that's how the Lord works and that's a great example of what you know what we should be doing because it is a super target rich environment right now there are people on all sides of the aisle that are just I don't even know what they want but we have that answer we can give them what they really want yep okay so Matthew 24 Verse 37, but as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until that day that Noah entered the ark and they knew not until the flood came and took them away. We all know that. 
these are the days of Noah. These are the last days. And it is just like the days of Noah with corruption and Matthew 24. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there are a number of verses that are like that. You know, and you, well, I don't know, maybe you don't. I always wonder what led to that. Because you had Adam and Eve, and then in 10 generations, it was just 10 generations, you're to the point where the Lord is going to destroy everything and start all over again. How did that happen? And uh, it's, a, it's an interesting study if you just take the Hebrew names. It kind of walks you through it. But basically how that happened was us. I mean, we didn't do what we were supposed to do. Yeah. We didn't project the, the beauty of the Lord. We didn't talk to people and, and, and make known what a great deal it is. The church was weak is how I would, would say it. And I would suggest that nothing has changed. The church is weak and we don't do the things that maybe we should do. We don't go out and talk to people and we don't go out and search them out and, and explain to them and try to, you know, it's, their life is disgusting. They don't know it, but it is. And we have the answer to get that disgusting off their lives. And you never know, <laughs> you know, you talk to somebody for an hour and they don't respond. You never know. Because it's not you, it's God. God's doing something. The Spirit is acting. But if we don't ever say anything to anybody, why are we different than the days of Noah? You know, it... <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Amen. <clears throat> well, that's how it works. That's what we're supposed to be doing. So I, ha I have here to read, and I'm not going to do it because I know this is a big shock. We're a little behind. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16 through 32. And it's that whole section. It's a very good section. Um, and I would encourage you to read that. But to answer the question that comes up, that's come up several times, Dan and I would probably rather uh, pick up arms and go do battle than sit here and pray. <clears throat> so Matthew 26, starting in verse 52. And this is, uh, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, the uh, priests and the Folks are coming to get him. And uh, Peter's got his sword on. Then Jesus said unto him, Put again the sword into its place. For all they that take up the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot pray to my father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled? That it thus it must be. You know, and, and well, I don't know, I shouldn't lump you in, but my general tendency 
is to arm up and go out and do battle and just these people are useless. We need to get rid of them. <clears throat> do I think in my own mind that the Lord could not send 12 legions of angels and fix this himself if he wanted to fix it? This, this, is, this is the thing that the Lord is using for his purposes. And the fact that I can't lay out every yacht and tittle of exactly what's going to happen and how it's going to work um, angers me. <laughs> and I would just as soon go out there and literally do battle like Peter would. And the Lord said, don't do that. He said, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And I wouldn't be terribly afraid of going out there and fighting for this country and dying for it. And he doesn't say that that, you know, would cause you not to be saved. It just kind of, it's, it's a waste. I would rather have you do something else. I would rather have you maybe pray and talk to people and bring people to the Lord. Uh, that is Matthew 26, 52 through 54. And then you've got Samuel 17, 26, where this scrawny little shepherd boy comes up and the entire army of Israel is shaking in its boots because some 15 foot tall, uh, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And you know the story. He loads up on the armor, can't wear it, throws it off, picks up five smooth stones out of the river, puts them in his sling. And by the time you get down here to uh, verse 47, it says, and all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. He will give you into our hands. Now, David took up the stone and planted it right in the forehead of Goliath. The first, yeah, because he had four brothers, right? And so did it kill him? I don't know, but he took Goliath's sword and cut his head off. That killed him. So... I don't know is the answer. Do we take up arms or not? I don't know. But I know the battle's the Lord's. And I don't want to get in the middle of that, really. I don't want to get in the way of it. And I suppose if they come to my house and start, it's a different deal. But I don't know. I mean, I have to, I constantly have to pray about this because honestly, I'm the kind of guy who would, I mean, I can plot all night long how we're going to get Pelosi or, you know, and it's just not right. It would be great if somebody did. And honestly, I'm a little mystified why the Proud Boys haven't done it or any of these fabulous militias we supposedly have. Where are they? But anyway, that's a whole other issue. Um, I don't think that's maybe what we should do. I think maybe we should just trust the Lord that it's all going to work out the way he wants and to do the things he would have us to do. And that is to live in a way that's pleasing to him. Because he said, you know, go to Judea and Sarah, uh, you know, that other place and all those other places, Samaria and Rome and Venice and whatever, and do what? Does anybody remember what you're supposed to do? Live in such a way, and it doesn't say this exactly, but this is what you're supposed to do. Live in such a way that those people will be drawn to you. And by being drawn to you, they'll be drawn to him. And honestly, if I'm out in the front yard, you know, with my uh, 50 caliber machine gun and M60 mortars and stuff, I'm betting that's not going to attract a lot of people. <laughs> but if I'm here praying and doing what I can do, you know, I mean, they can come take me away and I can talk to two guys 
right, about the Lord, just like Peter or Paul did. I don't know. It's, it, you know, we each have to make that decision for ourselves. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I, 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 I don't, I mean, I, I don't think I hate these people. I think I'm more disgusted for their souls. They're, so why would I want to kill somebody that's not saved? Well, I don't know, but I'm guessing if they're doing the things of the enemy, they're probably not saved. Do I want to kill them? Which would eliminate any possibility that could be saved. Or would I rather go to jail and, you know, I mean, in Canada right now. Yeah, exactly. It is. So I don't know, you know, and I, and I see in Canada, this is in the parliament that they're, they have approved uh, internment camps all over Canada and they have uh, uh, concentration camps. They're places to put people like you and me. And they just last week, they were discussing, and this is not, uh, just Canada. This has been discussed all over, but they are discussing this idea of uh, the minimum. What is it? The minimum basic income or something. So what they're going to do is, and and I I'm not making this up. This was discussed on the floor of the Parliament in Canada, and 70% of the whatever they call them senators, I Paul, I don't know what they call them. Yeah, they're parliament. Seventy percent of them approved of this, and the thirty percent are thinking, "What are you saying?" So this is the this is the idea. They will come in and they will take everything from everybody. They'll pay off all your debts, your your house mortgage, your car payment. They will pay everything off, and you will own nothing. They will own everything, and then they can put you up at you know, the new little 40 square foot condo that they're building or whatever. And somehow that is better because they can control you. We're not going to have these COVID renegades running around without their mask on. We'll be able to control everybody. Well, that's, I mean, it's a legitimate discussion. We take everything, pay everybody off, and then we own everything. They're talking about it in Australia. They're talking about it in England. In Canada, it's already made it to the Parliament. New Zealand. I mean, these aren't these aren't wild countries. Right. Well, they print the money. They can print all the money they want. And yeah, and you're right. They already own it. They own the mortgage. They own the financing on your car. They own everything anyway. All of this thing about, you know, we go to work every day and get a paycheck and buy stuff and, you know, we get more money so we can live at a better place or buy a better car. That's all just fantasy because we don't own any of it. They own it all. And the fact that they let us think that we're actually working and doing and improving and, you know, I mean, it's, it's bogus. But if we didn't have that... If we, if we weren't able to even think that, then our lives would be meaningless. You know, we wouldn't have anything. We're the little mice on the treadmill. We're the little mice on the treadmill. That's exactly right. Our minds don't go crazy. We've got to do anything else. Right. So how do you make your life meaningful? 
Well, we make it meaningful because we know who the Lord is. They make it meaningful by cheating on ballots or by robbing liquor stores or, you know, you name it, whatever makes their life meaningful. Yeah. And that's the whole object is the technocrats that control everything, that control all the money supply. And, you know, they already own everything. They're just letting us know that they own everything and that they can put us wherever they want us to do. And we will have to do whatever, just, just like China. Well, that's what they've been trying to do for since the early 1900s, you know, and it, and, and back in those days, the, the progressives that call themselves, um, had this plan and I have several books upstairs. Um, and they figured in 40 years, this plan, because they can control the children because they control the schools, they can teach them whatever they want. So their timeline was 40 years. We will have, we'll run everything. Well, it's been a hundred and some odd years, but now it's finally happening. So they're a little behind the curve. We were a little more resilient than perhaps they thought, but it's all coming. So what are you going to do? Are you going to fight it? Are you going to recognize it as uh, an opportunity from the Lord? Well, there's not a detailed map like that. It's a general, are you going to follow me or not? Are you going to believe me or not? These things are going to happen. And, you know, we've, we've talked about the four horsemen and then the 144,000 and then the, the fire that's going to destroy a third of the oceans and, and then a third of the lakes and rivers and then a third of the creatures and then a third of man. Well, what are you going to do? Is this going to rattle you? Is this going to draw you away from the Lord or is this going to draw you closer to the Lord? So these bad things are coming and they're happening. Yeah, exactly. And I listened to this interminable like six hour thing from this Russian prophetess who was describing, uh, <laughs> it, was, it was interesting is all I'll say. Um, but she was saying, oh yeah, you want to go in the first echelon because it won't be so bad. You know, they'll put you in a camp and they'll just, you know, you'll live your life. It'll be okay. But if you go later, then there's going to be punishment and death and all this stuff. Concentration. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I don't, you need to trust the Lord. We all need to trust the Lord. It doesn't matter what anybody says or anybody tells us. The words are in the book and they may not be specific, but when they happen, it'll go, oh, that's what he meant. You know, and then we'll know. So anyway, overall, um, I was initially very depressed, as my family will attest, this week because I have an overinflated sense of justice. And it just angers me to no end when people cheat. And all I see is cheating. But they laid it all out for weeks in advance, months in advance. This is what we're going to do. You know, we're going to wait on these five states um, for up to 12 days. So we have time to get extra ballots in. They said it all in advance. So how is it a surprise? And I knew that they were going to do it. And it still angered me. And then um, it's a good thing. So I wear my feast shirt. And we brought all dessert. <laughs> so I don't know. Anyway, that's, that's all I have. Thank you.